Productions. Good evening and welcome to City Visions. I'm your host, David Onik. Tonight, City Visions is kicking off Pride Month with our show Take Me Out, which examines homophobia and transphobia in sports. These are both exciting and difficult times for the LGBTQ community. Twelve states plus D.C. now have marriage equality. Decisions about Prop 8 and DOMA are expected from the Supreme Court shortly. And two professional basketball players recently came out to public support. While just yesterday, an NBA star was fined $75,000 for homophobic remarks. What is the state of sports for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender players? Who gets to play? Who warms the bench? And who didn't even feel comfortable enough to try out for the team? What legislation is underway to educate, protect, and mentor school-aged LGBTQ athletes? Tonight, we'll talk about homophobia and transphobia in sports and what the LGBTQ community and the Bay Area community are doing about it. Joining me in studio to discuss these issues is Alona Turner, legal director of the Transgender Law Center, the leading national legal organization working to advance the rights of transgender and gender nonconforming people. She was a staff attorney at the National Center for Lesbian Rights and a lobbyist for Equality California. Alona is a graduate of the University of California Berkeley Law School and has written numerous articles on transgender rights. Welcome, Alona. Thank you. And joining us by phone, we have two terrific guests. Fawn Yacker is an award-winning producer and director. She is the project director of The Last Closet, a web campaign and video project and homophobia in men's pro sports. Welcome, Fawn. Hi. And by phone, we have Dr. Robert McGarry, the director of education at GLSEN, the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network, which includes Changing the Game, the GLSEN Sports Project. Robert guides the development of evidence-based educator resources at GLSEN and is a frequent speaker at conferences and has given testimony to governmental commissions on issues related to LGBT-based bullying. Welcome, Robert. Hey, good evening, everyone, and happy Pride. Later in the show, we'll be joined by Sid Ziegler, uh, the co-founder of Outsports and author, and shortly we'll invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation as well. But let's start with our terrific guests. And Fawn, I'd like to begin with you. Can you tell us about the last project, the last closet, and why this project was needed at this time? Uh, we we launched the last closet as a web campaign and video project. But initially, we had wanted to make a documentary about homophobia in sports, and we found that um, in going to the league commissioners to talk about this subject, it was taboo, and we couldn't get any responses from them. So we decided to do a web campaign and a letter-writing campaign to get fans and the public to send letters to the commissioners, which they did. So um, eight months ago, uh, there were no commissioners talking about this. There were no gay uh, male athletes that were out publicly in any of the five major sports. And in the last eight months, everything has turned around. It's been quite, quite, a, quite a time. It has been a remarkable period, and we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, Dr. Robert McGarry, I wanted to ask you about the work GLSEN is doing in schools. Can you discuss uh, what the sports project is doing? Sure. Um, GLSEN, as, as an organization, has been around since 1990 doing work to create safer and, and more affirming and welcoming schools for all students, and specifically looking at the experiences of LGBT students in our nation's schools. We've been doing research um, since about 1999 on the school experiences of LGBT youth. And one of the things that we've seen over um, those years um, since doing that research is that 
places like locker rooms, um, gymnasiums, um, athletic facilities are places that LGBT youth frequently avoid because they don't feel safe in them. Um, we also know that um, about 80% of LGBT students say that they're really uncomfortable talking to their coaches or PE teachers about LGBT issues. So um, knowing all of that, we knew we needed to create resources um, to address these issues um, in schools. And so we've been working for the last two years um, advocating for um, training for coaches and PE teachers and developing resources that are really user-friendly um, for those working in schools to create um, safer sports spaces. And Alona Turner, Legal Director of the Transgender Law Center, can you talk about your work in this area? Are you working in schools as well uh, as in the general public uh, on sports-related issues? Yeah. uh, At the Transgender Law Center, we get calls from uh, transgender people and and family members from about 2,500 people every year from across the country. An increasing number of those are parents of transgender children who are experiencing challenges at school, often harassment of the type that Robert was just talking about, um, frequently in in the gym classes, in the locker rooms, um, and uh, sometimes in in terms of trying to access sports teams or gym classes that are appropriate to their gender identity, um, and they need help uh, advocating with the schools to make sure that their children are are treated respectfully. So that's that's often something we advise about and and help with. And we're also co-sponsoring a bill this year in Sacramento uh, that would require, it would, it would clarify existing non-discrimination law to make it clear that schools everywhere in California have an obligation to treat transgender students according to their gender identity and allow them to participate in all school activities, including sports, uh, based on their gender identity. Well, we'll come back to that. So that's Tom Amiano's bill in mm-hmm. the Assembly, which has passed through. Uh, Fawn, I want to go back to what you said, which is it's really been a remarkable period of months here in terms of professional athletes coming out. We had Jason Collins, the uh, former Stanford star, who's, I believe, a 10-year NBA veteran basketball player, who uh, publicly came out, the first uh, active NBA player to come out. And then we had Brittany Griner, actually, in this month, this week's Sports Illustrated uh, coming out, uh, who was the best college basketball player last year and was the number one pick in the Women's National Basketball Association draft, um, uh, publicly coming out as well. And uh, all around, really uh, a very, very positive public uh, response to both of these announcements. What's your take on it? I think that the time has come to for people to start coming out, for athletes to start coming out. What they're realizing is that there is a lot of support around their coming out, and that uh, the Last Closet campaign was established to start uh, letting these athletes know that they would be backed up by their by the sports hierarchy. We wanted to talk to commissioners. We wanted to talk to owners. We're in the owners' campaign right now. Um, because we knew that once the sports leadership started to talk about these issues and support their gay athletes, that uh, people would, uh, athletes would start to feel safe. Um, it seems like it's coming true. There's more people coming out. Uh, Jalen Messersmith just also came out as an active basketball player. I think he's the first to publicly come out as a college player. Um, so, and we're also including cities that host sports teams. We started a campaign 
that Art Agnos inspired. Art Agnos is the former mayor of San Francisco, and he suggested getting San Francisco involved in this campaign, and San Francisco created a resolution in support of LGBT athletes and the Last Closet campaign, asking the commissioners to speak about these issues. Uh, Chicago became the second and Oakland the third. So we're having leaders take the lead on this. I think that's what's important here, and I think that's what's going to turn things around and has been turning things around. Have you noticed a difference uh, since these events have unfolded in terms of commissioners and owners getting back to you? I mean, I know you mentioned uh, owners getting more involved. I know just the other day Mark Cuban, the kind of well-known owner of the Dallas Mavericks, uh, joined, I believe, Athlete Ally and publicly tweeted about it. Um, Are you getting your calls returned and more interest in collaborating with you uh, than you were six months ago? Well, we, we just interviewed Larry Bear, the owner of the San Francisco Giants, on Wednesday, and um, we're going to be editing that piece and putting it up on our site probably by the end of the week. And uh, You Can Play, another LGBT sports organization, has been <clears throat> working with the National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman, and he is actually the first commissioner to go on camera and state that he welcomes his gay players and would have a support system in place for them once they do come out. Roger Goodell has been working with elder LGBT sports organizations and has committed to changing their educational platforms um, to train their athletes in, in giving them sensitivity training and creating rules and regulations around uh, LGBT issues. So there has been a lot of movement. I think that um, commissioners, owners, and other people in the sports hierarchy are having uh, major conversations about this right now. And, Robert, what is your sense of how the Jason Collins and Brittany Griner is are, – are, are students in school, LGBT students, uh, who might be feeling ostracized, is this giving them the courage to, to be themselves and to go out and play sports? Do you have a sense of what's happening on the ground? You know, so it's interesting. As I was listening to Alona speak about um, the work that, that they're all doing there in California and also Fawn's, Fawn's discussion of – you know, hearing from commissioners, um, you know, the public schools, K-12 schools are sort of um, slow to uh, respond. Um, we're lucky at Glisten to have uh, the partnership of a professional organization of educators called the National Association for Sports and Physical Education, or NASPE, which is part of a larger organization called AFERD. Unfortunately, we've had um, a difficult time of, of uh, or actually a resistant um, time from the organization that oversees interscholastic athletics, which is the National Association or the National Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association, which sort of sets the rules for high school sports, um, have been much less open to discussions to address policy issues around um, sports participation at, at the high school level. Um, and, you know, as much as um, we were talking about um, this being a time where, you know, professional athletes um, are, are starting to come out um, and be role models, um, it's unfortunate that in schools, you know, there are still places in the country where because of um, not prote- that they're not being protections for role models within the school community to come out. Um, you know, LGBT um, teachers, LGBT PE teachers or coaches are, are really sort of reluctant to come out because they're not protected by discrimina- anti-discrimination laws. So, 
you know, I think schools are a little bit slower um, in responding, but I'm, I'm hoping that, um, you know, at, on the ground where students are, that they're, they're feeling inspired by the stories of, of folks like Brittany Griner and Jason Collins and others. And, and as, as um, there tend to become more athlete allies out there, that they're feeling more like they can be who they are and bring them, them whole, their whole selves to their sport. But it's a slow process. Thanks for that. Uh, Alona Turner, have, have these uh, big public um, announcements, how, how have those filtered down to the transgender community? Do they feel a part of it or still feeling like, hey, there still hasn't been a, a transgender uh, athlete uh, at that level uh, come out? Um, what's your sense there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, you know, we do call it the LGBT community or LGBTQ um, you know, recognizing that there is a lot that uh, that gay, lesbian, and bisexual people and transgender people have in common. The uh, the stigma that both groups face, I think, has a lot in common. It's they're both rooted in a sense that that gay and transgender people, in some sense, violate gender stereotypes or expectations of gender stereotypes. Um, so, so I do think that it that it helps that it that it. Uh, is seen as a positive step uh, to have more open LGB athletes um, or, you know, really lesbian and gay athletes. There aren't, aren't as many openly bisexual athletes. Um, but but certainly it would be more more significant, more game-changing uh, for, for transgender young people to see uh, one of their own. And, you know, I mean, we have recently seen an example of that, though, with the mixed martial art uh, fighter Fallon Fox, who's recently come out you know, it's it's not football or basketball, but her story is, you know, her bravery has definitely been inspiring to a lot of people. And a women's college basketball player right here in the Bay Area uh, recently as well. That's right. What has the reaction to that been in the Bay Area, which you would think would be very open to it? Um, do you have a sense of uh, how uh, she has been received? I think that there's a lot of support uh for her among the queer community and the transgender community, for sure. I think that there still remains a fair amount of uncertainty or sort of um, lack of education among the the sort of general population about transgender, about well, transgender well, people generally. Yeah, well, let me uh, mm-hmm. stop you there and say for our listeners who might not know, could you define what transgender actually means? <laughs> that, that's a great question. I always uh, try to start my uh, uh, remarks on this kind of thing with, with some basic terminology because, you know, yeah, it's just not familiar to a lot of people. Um, transgender just means having a gender identity uh, that's different from the sex that you were assigned at birth. And What's a gender identity? Gender identity is is everybody's, uh, you know, we all have a gender identity. It's our internal understanding of ourselves as male or female. And so if you're transgender, that's that's different from the, the body that you happen to have been born with. Um, now, I want to go back to what you mentioned earlier, which is the assembly bill that recently passed, sponsored by Tom Amiano from San Francisco, AB 1266, the School Success and Opportunity Act 
Can you tell us uh, what that act does for transgender athletes in schools? Sure. Um, So California has had on the books since 1999 a non-discrimination law that that says that schools can't discriminate against students based on on either sexual orientation or gender identity, um, which means, you know, basically transgender status. Um, But it's been applied in really inconsistent ways. Uh, Some of the largest school districts in the state, including San Francisco Unified and L.A. Unified School District, have uh, adopted policies that make clear that transgender gender students have to be uh, respected and they have to be treated as a member of the sex that they identify as, not the sex that they were assigned at birth. So that goes from everything from dress codes to what restroom and locker room they use to what what gym class they might participate in. Um, but, you know, in, in other districts, it, it, that just isn't uh, applied in the same way. You know, we, there's a student who's going to be uh, who was speaking in in the state capitol a few weeks back, and, and I think will be at the committee hearing coming up uh, on the Senate side, um, who uh, is a transgender boy. That means he was assigned female at birth, but identifies as a boy. Uh, and his high school uh, gym class that that was a requirement um, divided the up the boys and girls, and the boys had uh, sports, different sports activities, and the girls had aerobics and fundamentals of dance. Uh, and he was living... As a boy, everybody knew him as a boy, and yet the school insisted on placing him with the girls um, when he wanted to be playing sports with the guys. Uh, And it was really just offensive and inappropriate in every way and and sort of would have the the effect of outing him as transgender to everybody. Um, And so instead, he would just cut class. And, you know, this has really serious ramifications, obviously, for a student's ability to get the credits that they need to graduate, um, as well as subjecting them to all kinds of harassment. Um, So uh, this bill is just really important to clarify for school districts across California, once and for all, get a consistent standard in place saying that, yes, we have a non-discrimination law, and that means that transgender students have to be recognized and respected in their gender identity. And I'll also add that just in the last few months, actually, the um, the California Interscholastic Federation, which governs interscholastic you know, high school sports in California, has actually adopted this very same policy. So this is already the law in effect for uh, for high school sports in the state. It, well, at least it's the policy that that is in effect today. And it's through the assembly, uh, so it's going to the Senate next. What What is the timing moving forward, and do we have any idea what Governor Brown's view uh, of this bill is? We haven't uh, had a chance to, you know, talk to the governor about this yet, um, but the bill, it's moving pretty quickly. Uh, it's its made it through the Assembly. The first Senate hearing, I believe, is going to be this month. Um, and it could be, it could get out uh, and to the governor's desk possibly in June, almost certainly in August. Okay. You are listening to City Visions on local public radio, 91.7 KLW San Francisco, and on the web at klw.org. Tonight, we're speaking with Alona Turner, legal director of the Transgender Law Center, Fawn Yacker, director, writer, and co-producer of The Last Closet, and Robert McGarry, director of education at GLSEN. We invite you to call in with your questions or comments. Are you an LGBTQ athlete, an ally, a parent? Do you feel that things have changed? Do you have a story to share? The number to call to join our conversation is 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. 
or you can email us at feedback at cityvisionsradio.com or post a comment on klw.org or on our Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Robert, I want to go back to you now. If students are fearful of participating in sports, you have done some research, your organization, on what the effects of that might be. What, What does it mean to play sports? What other outcomes is that correlated with? Right. So, you know, we, we look at, the, as I said, the experiences of LGBT youth in schools um, across the country. And when we look at um, participation in sports, um, we found out that about, um, about a quarter, a little less than a quarter of LGBT students actually participate in interscholastic sports um, and a smaller amount in intramural. Um, and when we look at the experiences of those who specifically um, participate, we find out that those students report um, a lot of, of, of healthy outcomes, um, which we would expect. We expect them to have higher self-esteem, um, that, you know, that they have a better sense of belonging to their school, um, and in fact that they actually have higher grades than those who don't participate in athletics. Um, so by, by creating this environment where they're not included or they, they feel like they can't participate, we're really sort of um, prohibiting them from um, achieving in school and, and achieving all they can and getting the most out of their education. And uh, we are joined now on the phone by Sid Ziegler. Again, Sid is the co-founder of OutSports and an author, uh, has uh, thought a lot about these issues. Uh, Sid, welcome to City Visions. And a big supporter of Glisten, I'll have you know. <laughs> Terrific. Um, Sid, we were talking earlier about Jason Collins and Brittany Griner uh, coming out uh, publicly. Uh, uh, Fawn was discussing what a real game changer she has seen that as being in the last uh, just huge movement in the last six or so months, or even more recently, in terms of the public's perception, in terms of uh, owners and commissioners of sports leagues being, being willing to talk about this issue. Uh, what's your take? Is this a game changer? Uh, yeah, I, I, I hate to disagree too much with my beloved friend Fawn, but I, I don't I don't see these two events changing sports much. The, the fact of the matter is that particularly professional sports changed years ago. And what these two coming outs did, and, and Robbie Rogers playing in Major League Soccer last weekend, what it did was show everyone how much it's changed. And the fact that, I mean, what? 200 NBA players tweeted support for for Jason Collins and Robbie Rogers' team supported him unconditionally, uh, and and actually uh, a team traded for him, (laughs) even though he was openly gay. They traded away their best player for him. So I I think that sports changed long ago, and 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 finally the rest of the, the, the population is seeing what we've seen in pro sports for years now. And what do you make then also, as we talked about in the opening of the comments of the Pacers' Roy Hibbert uh, a couple days ago uh, using a homophobic slur in a press conference the next day? Yesterday he was fined $75,000. Coming right on the heels, he actually had publicly supported uh, Jason Collins when he came out in an interview. Uh, But there's these reminders that we're not where we need to be. Uh, What was your take on the Roy Hibbert situation? was really dumb. I mean, look, look, people use this language and they don't mean I hate gay people. The problem is 
the gay LGBT athletes, when they hear the stuff like what Hibbert said, they hear, I hate gay people. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, in particular, the reason that I, I think that Glisten and, and, and fighting this kind of stuff in K-12 through sports is so important is because that's where so much of it is. You just don't hear that language as much in the pro locker rooms. But in K-12, through I mean, the coaches are using it. And, 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 you know, even though a coach may not really care that if, his, if one of his players is, is gay, just hearing that language really drives home a negative message in the minds of the athletes. And we, we hear about that over and over and over again. So I think it's just a dumb, uneducated disconnect between what people are saying and what LGBT athletes are hearing. And Fawn, what's your take on Roy Hibbert's comments? Uh, you had talked about uh, kind of all this progress that has been made. Do you feel like when you hear comments like that, it sets us back, or does it give an opportunity to have a conversation and educate and continue to move forward? Well, let me preface this with: I didn't hear Sid's comments. It's they're coming in very, very, very low for me, so I don't want to be duplicate what he said. But. Um, Basically, in the culture, there's so much casual homophobia, and it's been the culture in the locker rooms for so long that people just forget themselves and go back, and you know, go back to what they're comfortable with and have often used. So, a comment like that from somebody who previously supported Jason Collins isn't so contradictory. We're we're looking at a culture that is um, evolving but still has a ways to go, like any civil rights movement. Things come in increments, and consciousness comes, you know, fairly slowly. I think with the LGBT sports movement, though, we've seen a, really an accelerated pace. And um, I give credit to many of the LGBT sports groups that are working very hard to, to make that happen. Robert, let me ask you uh, the effect <laughs> on students who might hear what Roy Hibbert had to say uh, right after they had been reading about Jason Collins or Brittany Griner. What effect do you think this has on, on students in school, both LGBTQ students and non-LGBTQ students? Right. So, you know, that's always a concern of ours is how, how do these things get um, how do these things get talked about in the locker rooms, in the hallways? Um and you know, I th- I think I think that you know, as Sid said, you know, it was a dumb thing to say, right? Um, and I think that I believe that kids are are starting to realize that that there are things that that they shouldn't be saying. So I th- I think, but I still I agree, w- you know, with what Sid said in terms of what what kids hear when they hear those kinds of words being said. The LGBT kids in particular, what they hear. Um, and you know words like that are pervasive in the um, environment in schools. Um, so there's still a, an enormous amount of work to be done. Um, and as Sid says, you know there are even coaches and educators who use um, homophobic, transphobic words, um, you know, and, and still even using racist terms and, and um, sexist terms. So there's tons of work to be done in K-12 schools. Sid, coming back to you for a moment. Um... You know, for athletes who came out years ago, did they receive this type of public response that we've seen with the Sports Illustrated stories on Jason Collins and Brittany Griner? Yeah, and that's why I say sports changed years ago. Remember Corey Johnson in 2000 or 1999, 2000, he came out, he was a high school football captain, came out to his team and um, was embraced the ABC 2020 did a piece on him, the New York Times did a piece on him, the media embraced him, fans embraced him, his team embraced him. At the time, 
when he was playing. This was, again, 13 years ago in high school. Uh, at the time, one of the teams that he was going to play, one of the players made a homophobic comment in the week leading up to the game. That coach of the opposing team suspended the player for the game. And we see it with uh, John Amici coming out in 2006, 2007. He was embraced again by the media and fans. And when Tim Hardaway said, I hate gay people, he was transformed into a pariah. And it took years for him to recover. So the people, you know, we can argue about same-sex marriage and Boy Scouts and all this other stuff. But what America is not uh, in disagreement about is that people, whether they're gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, should be able to play the sport they love and do their job. Well, Sid, I know you have to run. Thank you very much for calling in and joining us. And we would like to invite you, our listeners, to join us. Again, this is City Visions on local public radio, 91.7 KLW San Francisco, and on the web at klw.org. Tonight, we're speaking with Alona Turner, legal director of the Transgender Law Center, Fawn Yacker, the director, writer, and co-producer of The Last Closet, and Robert McGarry, director of education at GLSEN, Please call in with your questions and comments. Are you an LGBTQ athlete, an ally, a parent? Do you feel things are changing? And do you have a story to share about your own personal experience? Again, the number to call to join our conversation is 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. You can also email us at feedback at cityvisionsradio.com. Or you can post a comment on klw.org or on our Facebook page. Fawn, I'd like to come back to you. Uh, You had mentioned the resolution campaign and saying it started here in San Francisco under former Mayor Agnos. Can you tell us more about that and where it stands today? Uh, Well, what happened was the Giants were winning the World Series. They won the World Series, and uh, Art Agnos called to say, I think it's time to promote this project. I think it's important and and great timing. So he and his speechwriter, uh, Larry Bush, I think his last name was, um, wrote a letter to the um, to City Hall and basically said, uh, "We want you to create a resolution based on this letter." And um, the commissioners—I'm calling them commissioners, but that's not what they are. <laughs> Um, they just they decided to do that, and uh, it was three days after the phone call with Art Agnos that we were at a press conference introducing the resolution, and the resolution was then passed. Um, and what it occurred to us is that um, teams that are that cities that host professional teams, um, the teams often reflect the culture of the city, and vice versa. And we thought this was a great idea, and um, important to get other. Uh, cities that host professional teams to create resolutions like the one in San Francisco. Um, So we approached uh, people in Chicago, and somebody from the LGBT Sports Coalition that we are part of um, had some, knew some people in the government there. Um, And Chicago was great. We had um, a hearing where 18 LGBT organizations testified in support of LGBT athletes and the last closet, and Oakland um, just became the third city to do that. Um, what I also wanted to, to talk about a little bit, which I, I don't, it's been brought up sort of peripherally, is um, the last closet was uh, designed and created specifically to get um, pro athletes to come out in each of the major sports. 
Um, and the reason we wanted to do that was for the athletes themselves, because we know um, from previous interviews we've done with retired out athletes how that closet feels emotionally and how constricting it is and how players can't really play to the, for their full potential while in the closet. Um, but what we really wanted were um, role models uh, for LGBT youth who are struggling with self-acceptance. I don't know if people know the statistics on that, but suicide is the main cause of uh, death for LGBT youth. Um, and we knew that sports carried a lot of weight in this culture and wanted um, role models for these youth who are struggling with self-acceptance. And, uh, and I think that's sort of the bottom line for our campaign. Fawn, can you tell, uh, share with our listeners the address of the website there? thelastcloset.org thelastcloset.org and uh, for our listeners who go to the site what will will they find there? Well what we have now are over 400 video clips with interviews from retired out athletes, youth athletes uh, public relations people um, educators uh, specialists in the field of homophobia and sports and we've broken them down into bite-sized pieces and described each bite so that you can sort of scan the uh, website and find uh, what you're looking for. Uh, we also have a resources which lists other organizations that are working um, towards tolerance and inclusion, acceptance and inclusion. Um, we have blogs and we tweet and we do all the social media, uh, keeping people apprised of what's happening currently. And also uh, we you have access to the resolutions that have been created that you can look at those and see what those are like. Terrific. Uh, Aluna, I want to come back to you and talk uh, again about the bill. And one of the things I want to ask is, what have the primary objections been? Uh, my understanding, there's been fear and 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 really ignorance uh, in some quarters about what this actually means and what some possible outcomes would be. What are the biggest concerns that you've heard and what were we able to do to overcome them and actually get the bill passed? Sure. Um, <clears throat> one of the, the most commonly repeated uh, arguments that I, I hear from from folks on the other side of, of this uh, is the this really a sort of myth that if uh, schools have policies like this or athletic teams have policies that that allow players to participate based on their gender identity, that you're going to see basically boys pretending to be girls, pretending to be transgender in order to get onto a girls team and, and, you know, destroy the competition, uh, allegedly. And that is just really so (laughs) unrealistic. Um, Simply because of the, uh, I mean, for a number of reasons, uh, but the main one being the significantly high rates of of stigma and prejudice that exist against transgender people in society and especially for kids in schools. You know, as we've been discussing, the, the amount of harassment that these kids face every single day is just a tremendous pressure that no kid is going to intentionally take on that kind of uh, of abuse just to get on a team or, or, or play a prank of some sort. Um, and that would, you know, even if that were a possibility, it would be easily addressed by, you know, a simple requirement that a student show that the gen- their gender identity is genuinely held. Uh, and that's something that we see, and it has been applied and it has worked 
very smoothly in Washington State since 2008, in LAUSD since, I think, 2006, in San Francisco. Yeah, I saw a quote from a top official at LAUSD saying, uh, you know, we've had this policy and, and we don't have one example of the type of thing you were talking about. Exactly. It's, it just doesn't happen. So uh, as this bill moves forward and your hope is that it passes, kind of what's next? What's the, what's the next on the horizon to further protections and uh, not only protections, but to actually encourage uh, transgender students to get involved? Because, again, as Robert's uh, research shows, whether you are LGBTQ or not, any student who participates in sports, suddenly all these other things go up. Your grades go up. Your self-esteem goes up. Uh, all these other indicators of well-being. So what what are kind of the next steps to encourage transgender youth to get involved in sports? Yeah, that is, that is going to be really important. Um, I mean, frankly, I think it sort of goes outside of, of the law and, you know, um, opportunities that, that legislators or lawyers like me can can help influence and, and goes into the province of, you know, the schools themselves and, and families uh, to accept and embrace and uh, love their transgender children um, and, and encourage them to take advantage of all those opportunities that, that are available to every student. One thing that I think will make a difference is is a law that passed a couple of years ago in California, the Fair Education Act, which uh, requires now, you know, it's on the books now, requiring that that schools all over the state include in their in their history and their social studies curriculum um, lessons about the contributions of of. Basically, you know, the full, reflecting the full diversity of our state, including lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender individuals, and I think that that will play a piece in the sort of growing acceptance of transgender students by by their peers and and by themselves that they will feel uh, recognized and um, and be able to be themselves, be able to feel comfortable coming out and 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 being who they really are. And that was really a landmark bill uh, sponsored by Mark Leno that uh, also had uh, some severe opposition, but it was able to overcome. And I think you're right that uh, for students sitting in a classroom to be reading about and learning about people like them, that makes a a really big difference to a young person. It will. It will. Um, Yeah, there's a and there's also a um, a, a program at um, University of San Francisco called the Family Acceptance Project that has just doing incredible research on. The, the impact that that family acceptance has on uh, on the psychological well-being of LGBT youth, you know, so many face rejection from their families uh, from an early age as soon as it's suspected that there's something different about them. Um, and that leads to, you know, I mean, it, it interacts with the harassment and and uh, negative experiences that they have at school um, and, and leads to the just horrendously high rates of suicide that that Fawn was mentioning earlier. And so if we can get at that problem, you know, at the root from the early ages, make sure that kids do feel accepted and loved for who they are from those early ages, I think that's going to just really transform uh, society, transform this community. Well, let's hear from our listeners. Again, you are listening to City Visions on local public radio, 91.7 KLW San Francisco, and on the web at klw.org. Tonight, we're speaking with Alona Turner, legal director of the Transgender Law Center, 
Vaughn Yacker, director, writer, and co-producer of The Last Closet, and Robert McGarry, director of education for GLSEN. The number to call to join our conversation is 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. You can also email us at feedback at cityvisionsradio.com or post a comment on KALW.org or on our Facebook page. Let's go to a call now. Nicole in San Francisco, welcome to City Visions. Thank you. What is your question, Nicole? Um, I actually just had a story to relate. Um, I am gay, and um, I never felt like a girly girl growing up, and I enjoyed sports. And now that I'm hearing this, um, you know, I definitely put aspects of my identity on hold to remain part of a team in, in high school and college. I played soccer in college. And, you know, my teams were probably at least, you know, 30% also gay. And it was just, it was a pretty homophobic atmosphere. There were no uh, women on the national team out, although now, you know, they are out. And so I think just having those role models would have been um, important and and would have, I would have had a much better experience. And I probably would have been able to um, develop confidence and, and, you know, just have had a better experience, you know, developing as a person. So I just want to thank everyone who is working on this now, because I'm, I'm sure it's making a huge difference now to everyone, um, you know, even even in college and high school. So thanks very much. Well, thank you, Nicole, very much for sharing that story. And, you know, in the Brittany Griner article, uh, she basically implies that Baylor, her university, uh, did not want her to come out publicly, even though uh, all her teammates knew her girlfriend would hang around practice. It was an open secret, but it was a secret nonetheless and something that she did not feel comfortable uh, bringing up publicly until she had graduated and uh, moved on to the pros. Uh, Fawn, what is your sense of uh, how much is changing at the college level? I know you're focused on pro sports, but do you think it's significant that Brittany Griner didn't feel comfortable coming out until publicly until she was out of college and in the pros? Well, um, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, we made a film, uh, Dee Moss Becker, um, the president of Woman Vision, who's the Woman Vision is actually the producing agent for The Last Closet. But Dee Moss Becker and myself made a film called Training Rules, which was about Rini Portland, who is basketball coach at Penn State, um, who and she got sued by a student, Jennifer Harris, for discrimination based on sexual orientation. Uh, Rini Portland was a well-known coach. She won Coach of the Year uh, a couple of times. Um, and she told her athletes when they came to play for her that if they were lesbian, uh, they were going to get kicked off the team and they'd lose their scholarship. And if they talked to a lesbian, they would be kicked off the team, maybe wouldn't lose their scholarship. But... Um, Anyhow, so she got sued, and uh, Jennifer, the, the, the details of the case are, are still, there's still a gag order for that, but Rini Portland uh, finally did leave Penn State. She was public uh, until 91 about her policies of, uh, you know, no drinking, no drugs, no lesbians. Um, so we, we do know that at the college level, uh, women coaches have to be closeted, they don't, there's, I think, one out Division I uh, college coach, a woman. Um, and women especially are having a hard time because of a term called negative recruiting, where one coach, when they're recruiting uh, 
talent will infer that another coach is lesbian, so they better come to their team if they don't want to be sort of tainted by lesbianism. Um, so what happens then is women coaches have a hard time getting jobs in the first place because universities don't want to deal with that issue, so a lot of male coaches are coaching women's teams. Um, so it doesn't really surprise me. Um, it's still college uh, sports is still a money-making enterprise, and um, people are under uh, the leadership in these universities think uh, that people want to see girls play basketball and want them to be feminine and don't want to uh, have any kind of uh, lesbian uh, issues to deal with. So it doesn't surprise me, but it's, it's heartbreaking. It's really, I think it's going to change, and I think it's changing slowly, but uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. And to your point about recruiting, Brittany Griner said it was understood. It didn't even need to be said that uh, her college, Baylor, was concerned that it would hurt recruiting if their star player uh, was out of the closet while in college. Right. Yeah. I mean, because they're recruiting from all all parts of the country, and they don't know who they're recruiting or what their uh, religious background might be. So they are they shy away from uh, allowing anybody to be who they are. What about women's professional tennis, which is one of the most successful leagues or organizations for women's sports over the years? And my understanding is years ago, they were very, very concerned, as some of their top players uh, were gay, about being viewed or dismissed as a lesbian league and really downplayed it. Um, and now, of course, there are people like Martina Navratilova and others who are leaders of the LGBT movement coming out of professional tennis. What has been the change there? Was tennis uh, kind of one of the first steps in, in breaking down some of these barriers? Well, historically, yes. And I, I think, I mean, I think the perception is for women in sports, if you're a woman playing sports, at, at that high level, then you must be a lesbian. If you're playing basketball in college, you must be a lesbian. It's it's kind of the opposite for men. It's if you're playing professional sports, you must be a macho male straight guy. So, um, yeah, I, I I I'm not exactly answering your question. <laughs> I don't think, but um, basically, yeah, tennis historically, uh, you know, was the first, and um, I think people are getting braver and braver as they realize there's more and more support. You know, you brought up another issue that I want to ask you and our other guests, which is about, is there a difference by gender in terms of coming out? Is it easier or harder for women in sports versus men in sports to come out? Uh, let me go to you, Robert, in that. At the school level, um, are, are young girls versus young boys, are they facing the same issues? Or are there any differences in the way they're treated when they come out? You know, I think... Um coming out and telling your story is such a personal decision that I don't, you know, I, I, I don't think we have the data to say that, you know, it's, it's easier or harder um, for either gender. Um, so we haven't seen that, no. And Fawn, what is your sense at the professional level? Uh, are there any differences or is it really, uh, obviously it's individual to each person, <clears throat> but are there any gender differences you see on this issue? Well, I have to agree with Robert. It's a personal decision, and you can have a male athlete whose family is totally supportive, his team is supportive. That's much easier to come out to. And you can have a female athlete whose parents are very religious, who comes from a very conservative background, who is taught that being gay is a sin, and her decision to come out is going to be much more difficult. So, as Robert said, it's very individual, very personalized. Um, I think the perception is that if you're a woman and you come out, no big deal, because we thought you were gay anyhow. Um, but I think it is a very a, 
for some people who have a more conservative background because they're not sure they're going to be supported. I mean, people get uh, ejected from their family and community for being gay still. But, you know, I think your caller earlier um, spoke to the fact of, you know, by not being out, how it impacted um, her play. Um, and that's the thing we try to tell high school coaches is, you know, when your athletes can bring them whole, their whole selves to the game, they're, they're definitely going to be playing better, and your whole team is going to play better if you create that environment on the team where they can bring their whole self. Okay, let's go uh, back to the phones. Again, the number to call to join us is 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. Keenan is an athlete from San Diego. Uh, Keenan, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So do you have a, a story to tell, a question for the guests? Yeah, I just kind of wanted to speak as um, a, a transgender athlete from San Diego. Um, so I've been I'm in high school, and um, I've been playing soccer all my life, and, um, and I identify as a trans guy, which means I was assigned female at birth, but I identify as male. Um, and so I've been playing on a girls' team all of my life, um, but... I started transitioning to male two years ago, um, and I, I still played on the girls' team, and I had already felt uncomfortable on the team, but identifying and living as male but playing on the girls' team just heightened that sense of being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until this year that I asked um, the boys' coach for the boys' soccer team um, if I was allowed to play on the team. And I'm really fortunate that he allowed me doing that. The league was okay with it. Um, and I just had a much better experience. I not only became a better athlete because I felt more comfortable with my teammates and really could be myself, but I first of all actually attended practice, um, which was a kind of becoming a problem beforehand. Um, and I had... I didn't face any harassment, actually, because um, when I was playing on a girls' team, uh, people would, like, make remarks when I was on, like, doing a throw-in or playing goalie or something. Um, So I just had a much positive experience. And um, I've been talking about AB 1266, which is the School Success and Opportunity Act a lot. Um, And so I think it's really important, though, um, because, unfortunately, a lot of youth don't have such a positive experience as mine. And being able to play on sports teams that do correlate with their gender identity is such a meaningful experience um, that every high school student should have. Um, and I think so there will be a lot of really positive outcomes, um, such as a decline in dropout rates for transgender students. And a lot of transgender students are unable to graduate just because they don't have PE credits because um, they've been st- skipping PE classes um, because they aren't able to participate with the students that also identify with the same gender as they do. Well, Alona, it looks like you have a new spokesperson for your <laughs> bill. Um, can you respond, please? Yeah, this is this is a great example um, of uh, just how easy it can be and and should be if schools will just do the right thing and the sort of the obvious thing and allow a a transgender boy to 
play, you know, just like all the other boys on the boys' team, for example. And Keenan, thanks so much for sharing your story and for your your bravery in being who you are at your school um, and sharing for sharing your story with us. Yeah, no problem. And, and Keenan, how familiar are people uh, with the bill going through the legislature when you talk about them? Is it, it, talk about it? Is it is it news to most people you talk to in San Diego? Um, yeah, it's becoming less so, um, just because there was recently a new a new segment on the um, the local news about it um, that actually I spoke on, um, and so there's been some publicity down here, um, but I still think it's pretty unknown still. I've heard mixed mixed things about it. Have have uh, other students reached out to you since you've taken more of a public stance? You just, you're on this show now. You talked about being on another show. Um, have people reached out to you since you are uh, becoming a leader on this issue and are so well spoken about about the reasons uh, for the bill and for this issue generally? Um, a little bit. I know quite a few youth already um, through the advocacy work that I do, um, but I definitely have friends or, um, like, the parents of people I kind of know coming to me and asking me um, about either my experiences or being like, hey, my child might be transgender. Can you talk to me about this? Can you talk to my child? Kind of just just kind of talk to them, mentor them, um, and just kind of share your experiences. And Jason Collins and Brittany Griner coming out and the response they received. Uh, how did that affect you personally? Um, well, I don't play basketball at all. <laughs> I was like sixth grade. Um, so on a on a sports team level like that, not really. Um, I think it's I think it's great that they did come out though. I think it's um, really important for um, professional LGBT uh, athletes to come out just to be role models and show hey, you know, like say I was a basketball player, I could look up to one of them and be like, hey, you know, there's someone in the general community that also identifies um, with the LGBT community and know that at least there's someone else there and that I'm not the only one. Of course, being transgender, um, there's a lot, lot less athletes, um, but with Kai Allen and Keelan Godsey coming out um, a couple years ago, um, that was definitely really cool. Yes, and we talked about that a little earlier on the program uh, of the transgender athletes who, are, who have come out recently. Um, Keenan, thank you so much for calling in and for sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you. Robert, I want to turn to you next, and um, we've been talking about the effect that having a professional athlete coming out uh, can, the effect that can have on students what about a student leader, one of their friends, someone from their community coming out and it being okay? What kind of effect can that have on the climate of a school? Well, I think, you know, the Keenan story is such a great example of the positive impact that it can have. And, you know, as much as I think Keenan is, is, a, is a new spokesperson for uh, the bill out there in California, um, I, I think that the coach, that Keenan's coach, is also a great spokesperson for doing the right and, as Alona said, the easy thing, um, which is, you know, doing what's right for, for all students. Um, so I think having high school athletes like um, Keenan um, and other, 
young high school athletes that we've met across the country is is a really important thing. Um, but again, you know, we're not yet in a in a time and space where it is safe for all high school athletes to come out. Um, just as it's not safe for all educators, um, LGBT educators, to come out. Um, there are places where they can lose their jobs, and there are places where um, LGBT youth don't see role models in their schools. And so, um, again, you know, it's a personal decision, and it's a decision that needs to be made um, with as much knowledge of, of um, the risk involved in the, in the setting um, that the person uh, resides in. Well, I want to talk about some of the momentum uh, from this going forward. We've been talking a lot about the sports leagues. What about the companies that really feed off the sports league? Uh, a sports apparel company like Nike um, is getting very involved in this issue. And, Fawn, I believe uh, you, you're going to be there in uh, later this month for an LGBT event that Nike is hosting? That's right. Robert will be there as well. Um, there's uh, some of us who are in the leadership committee of the LGBT Sports Coalition, which actually started last year at Nike. Nike hosted an event um, where I think it was about 40 organizations got together and started talking about this LGBT sports movement and how to go forward. Um, and this year, 100 other organizations were invited, and Nike is once again hosting that. And again, we're going to try to figure out how to work together, how to support one another, and how to keep the momentum going, because it has been incredible momentum. And Robert, what are, what are your thoughts as you head up uh, to, to Oregon for that? No, I agree. You know, Nike has been really supportive um, in that. And, you know, we're currently talking with other um, sports companies that um, are also sort of willing to put um, their support behind the kind of work that we're doing. We just have a few minutes left. Alona, I was wondering if you had any last words. Well, I'm just really inspired and, and encouraged uh, about the, the momentum, as, as you've mentioned, um, that we're seeing in, in recent months and years on this issue, um, in, you know, in particular around transgender athletes um, and, and young people like Keenan, really, you know, I, I'm just feeling really excited about the, what the future holds um, as, as more and more young people are, are coming out, both as lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender, um, and having the courage to be themselves and to sort of demand equal treatment um, at schools and everywhere else, it, it's really it's really a game changer, and I, I look forward to seeing what, what this new world that they're going to usher in is going to look like. Terrific. Fawn, we have about a minute left. Could you give a quick uh, summary of your views going forward? Um, I would ditto that, what was just said. Um, also, what I'd like to stress is it's very important for leaders to take the lead on this, coaches, owners, managers. Uh, need to take the lead on this. And um, if you come to our site and go to our campaign page, you can send letters to the... Um, I just got a beep. I don't know what happened. Uh, okay, yeah, I think you're coming through now, Fawn. So okay. thank you very much for that. Okay. Uh, um, Robert, you get the final word. Sure, you know, and I'm also just really inspired and I'm so thrilled to hear Keenan speak and to know that, you know, people are working on these issues from all different perspectives um, and, and trying to be as inclusive as possible, um, looking at legal aspects, looking at sort of making sure that coaches and PE teachers in schools have the, have the language and the skills to be able to address um, issues that come up and create that welcoming 
respectful, inclusive, affirming environment that all youth deserve in our schools. Well, thank you very much to all three of you. Really terrific guests this evening. That's City Visions for this evening. For a link to this and other City Vision shows and to let us know what you thought about tonight's program and to subscribe to alerts and download podcasts, visit the City Visions page on KALW.org. Again, I'd like to thank our guests, Alona Turner, Legal Director of Transgender Law Center, Fawn Yacker, Director, Writer, and Co-Producer of The Last Closet, and Robert McGarry, Director of Education at GLSEN. Our engineer this evening was Eric Jansen. Tonight's show was produced by Lisa Denenmark. Great show, Lisa. Join my co-host, Joseph Pache, next Monday as we discuss a unique collaboration between San Francisco police, a city supervisor, and inspired business owners to keep teens out of gangs. This is David Onik. Thanks for listening. Good night and happy Pride Month to all.